Well, good morning. Good morning, Brother Chris. Um, you'll have to catch me up on what what we did last week. I texted Brother uh, Michael last night. I was going to text you, Brother Marty, but uh, I figured you were busy. We were just, uh, oh, I saw you last night. Yeah, we were out there, but uh, get the, I had to get the little guys home yeah. to, to bed. But yeah, so um, we did some review and rehash some things about you know uh, David not taking Saul's life, King Saul's life, mm-hmm. and had a chance, things like that. Okay, and we rehashed some of those things. So we never do. We really are up to uh, chapter twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Okay, mm-hmm. you were right, Michael. Oh, well, I should. Well, we, we inten- let's just say he intended to go into twenty-seven, but he yeah. started with a little. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. No problem. Well then we'll well then we'll do that. We'll we'll read from uh twenty two. Read from chapter twenty six, verse twenty two, and I'll read through uh the end of chapter twenty seven and we'll see how far we get. But let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning and for your word. We ask that you would make it alive to our hearts and our hearts uh, ready to receive it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Samuel 26, verse 22. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day, much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish some day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the six hundred men who were with him to Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, 
Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremielites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, Lest they should inform us, saying that thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. In the chapter 28. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Stop right there. So pretty crazy to see these two uh, events happen. I mean, almost back to back. We don't know really. We don't really know how much times between chapter twenty six, twenty seven, unless somebody does. But it almost seems like one day he's talking to Saul, and the very next day yes. he uh, makes this declaration mm-hmm. in his, and when David says in his heart. So we don't, I mean, we don't really know how much time there has has gone on in between those those two events, but it uh, it just seems so, from just reading it, it seems so, so head-scratching, so mind-boggling yes. that this right. could happen. Yes. And as soon as you have that thought, hopefully the very next thought in your mind is, Gosh, if if a man as great as David can fail, then what am I? Who am I? Because David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, there's not really that many people in Scripture who've ever lived recorded in Scripture or not recorded in Scripture greater than David. I mean, David was a... I mean, he had everything going on in the world. He was a, he was attractive, and then we read about him how, as a follower of God, how he was attractive, and how he's somebody to, in his better moments, imitate. You know, we got. Uh, some great men in the New Testament for sure. I mean, Paul even says himself, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We, you know, we, we, we have so many examples in the Old Testament of great men doing great things, David being one of them, right? Yes. But chapter 27, I don't think, is something that we should imitate. <laughs> in fact, I don't, not that I don't think, I know it's something that we shouldn't imitate. Yeah. But we also need to you know, see this because when we point the finger, you know, we always say we point the finger, there's three fingers pointing right back at us. So we can point the finger at David all we want, but if we don't learn the lesson that yes. David learned, then we too might have to spend a year and four months mm-hmm. in the land of, of the Philistines before we get it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, God is using this this period in David's life to teach him, to mold him, to sculpt him, 
into the man he's to be. Not that, not that God is directing David to do this. I don't think you can make the case here that God is directing David's thoughts and his actions. God's allowing it, and God's going to use it, but God is not in favor of it by any means. And we can say that about many things that happen, uh, not only in David's life, in other uh, people we see in Scripture, but in our own lives. When we make decisions, it's not necessarily that God's guiding those decisions, but God will overrule in those situations. He'll use those experiences of our life to mold us, to teach us. And sometimes it will take us a year and four months. Sometimes it will take us longer. Sometimes it will take us shorter. But he's the potter. We're the clay. And the potter's hands never leave the clay. For for a man like David, who's a man after God's own heart, heart, God is going to use the situation for his glory. And that's going to mean that David is going to be humbled because when he leaves and says in his heart that he will perish at the hand of Saul, this is the same guy who just yesterday said that had all of his trust in God. I mean, he entered into a camp of 3,000 in the dead of night, granted, but... I mean, you get caught in the middle of 3,000, there's no way of getting out. All you need is one guy to wake up and sound the alarm. Right. But he was walking by faith. He trusted in God. Mm-hmm. But now he's walking uh, by his own strength. And he's motivated not out of faith, but motivated out of fear. Because the first thing is he says in verse 1, David says in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me that I should speedily escape. Let's just imagine we just left it right there. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape, right? That's you could you could see the logic, you could see the brain working in 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 a Christian, in a follower of God, that you know, God will provide a way of escape. I'm going to take my escape. But when you finish the sentence, that's the mind-boggling part, right? Yes, right. When he says, I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna join hands with the enemy. With the enemy. I mean, he's been fighting the Philistines his whole life. Yep. Saul's been fighting the Philistines his whole life. And David's, it says here, there is nothing better for me. There is nothing better for me than to join hands with the enemy. That's what he says. Like, you you know, there's more options. <laughs> there's not two options. It's not, it's not stay in Israel and be, be hunted by Saul or go to the land of the Philistines. Those aren't his only two options. But... In his mind, this is what fear does. You make bad decisions when you're guided by fear and when you're guided by emotion, really. Now, emotions are good. They can be good. But when you make decisions based on emotion or based on, in this case, fear, not many good decisions are made that way. Now, there's good fear and there's bad fear, but we won't get into that. But you make these decisions 
based on fear that he should really have never had, right? He's been protected by God. He's been promised to be the king. He can't be the king if Saul kills him. Saul himself says he's going to do great things. Saul himself knows he's going to be king. Jonathan knows he's going to be king. Everybody knows he's going to be king. They're still chanting those chants. You know, Saul's killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So, the, he's he's making some some poor decisions, and and we too, so so easily can relate to this for sure. Yes. That we've made some poor decisions, and and as great as David was, he was a man, mm-hmm. and he did great things for God, and he was a great great man. But he was that. He was a man, yes. and we have to remember that. Right. He's a type of Christ. He's not the Christ. Right. He's a type, and the, and by very definition, the type cannot be ca- cannot be better than the antitype. Yes. And, and I'm, Marty used that recently about how you know in the ministry how we can change so quickly and not you know that it happens all because it seems really parallel to Elijah and then yeah. clean yes. to Jezebel because yes. I just looked up and he said when he saw that he rose and ran for his life. Yes. And went to Bathsheba. Right. So I mean, the greats have. I mean, just immediately can yeah. have their doubts like we do. And I, I mean, it's a good picture. It's just mm-hmm. I was just looking at how parallel it was. Right on the heels of a great victory. A huge victory. So it's easy to happen. Right, and 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 God can intervene, right, in people's lives because, but He doesn't in this one, because just a couple of chapters earlier, He intervened into David's life when he was about to was it Nabal is that the name yeah Nabal he took he took his wife took he intervened he stopped what was about to happen right and 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 used uh Nabal's wife which Abigail used Abigail to stop David from from doing something horrendous right which would have which would have ruined his reputation and and, and marred his character but in this case he doesn't intervene and and sometimes you know we talked about this at Bible study. Um, we're going through the book of Philippians, mm-hmm. and with Lance away, um, um, they brought in the budget version to to help um, move things along. But um, in the in Philippians, um, Paul talks about that he's learned to be both full and to be hungry, yes. to abound and to right. suffer need. And we talked about how God uses, um, that, that not that God, well, God can use it, but in, in this life, we're tested by prosperity and poverty. Mm-hmm. Those are the two, the two tests that we have. And I think that the harder test of our faith is to be tested in prosperity. Because read the book of Judges, we just did. Read, the book of 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. Read Elijah. Whenever we have great victory in our life or we live in a in prosperous times, so often right on the right on right at when we're at the peak of the mountain, yes. like David is, he's literally at the peak of a mountain yelling down to, mm-hmm. to Saul that we are brought into a valley because we puff when 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 we get to the to the top of the mountain, we start to forget about God, and there's a little bit of self 
that gets puffed up. Like when David yells out, or not yells out, but calls out, um, may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. You almost feel like, okay, is there a little bit of self in that? Because in 24, he says, and indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. There's a little bit of me in there. There's a little bit of David. And we know that, that I mean, uh, Scripture is ripe with examples of when men uh, have great victory in their life, that the, the very um, next event that happens in their life, there's a little bit of self. I was re- We're reading through um, Pilgrim's Progress with the kids, but it's a little Pilgrim's Progress. And I've never read Pilgrim's Progress, but I'm assuming it's the same story. But they've they've given all the characters animal, like like little little Christians a rabbit, okay. And when uh, he stays at the, he meets discretion. They stay at the palace, beautiful. Yes, right. He gets the armor, and he leaves on his on his pilgrimage on his journey. And the first enemy that he meets on when once he leaves the palace, beautiful. Is self. Is self. That's the first enemy. And really, that's the biggest enemy of David. It's not the Philistines. It's not the Gersherites or the Gizites or the Amalekites. It's self. And that's the same for, for, for all of us. Some of our biggest enemy, our first enemy, the first enemy for anybody to get over is self. Because, I mean, you, 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 when when somebody's being witnessed to and evangelized, when when ourselves were first introduced to God, what we had to get over first was self. That we really need to recognize who we are in God's eyes. That we're not as good as we think we are. The um, Ray Comfort does a great job of this. Is letting everybody witness themselves to the fact that they're sinners and in need of a savior, and just that they think they're good when in reality they know they're bad. And he lets themselves expose themselves. And so um, I think that's what's happening here. I think David is, his, his, his enemy isn't soul itself in this situation. Because he, he leaves um, Israel to go to the land of the Philistines. He goes to Gath and Saul stops pursuing him. So he he gives up this uh, being pursued. But at what cost? What was the sacrifice? Well, the sacrifice was now he's, now he's operating in his own strength. And um, too often we have the same problem. Is once we have victory, we, we praise God for the victory... But a little bit of self starts to creep in, and all of a sudden we're operating outside of God's will because we forget Him. Look at the look at the church in the time of, of the Laodicean church. In prosperous times, they've got no need for God, and so that's a bigger test for David because when David is on the run, when he's in poverty, not prosperity, but he's in poverty. He's relying on God for everything. 
so the, I think the, I mean, the test is when I mentioned prosperity and po- poverty. In prosperity, we forget about God because we don't need Him. Yeah. We got everything. Life's life's good. But in poverty, we curse Him because we don't have anything. Those are the two tests. But I think the test of po- in poverty, it, I'm not going to say it's easier, but the test in poverty forces us to rely on God. That we can have no confidence in ourselves because we can't get ourselves out of this mess. And so David is having to learn that. And he's in the Philistine, in the land of the Philistines, and um, he's operating outside of the will of God. Because, I mean, what does it lead to? It leads to, you know, an, a, a, an allegiance with Akish, who um, is the king. The king of Gath, and it leads to this falsehood that David, you know, sends sends a word back to Akish every time he goes out to raid. You know, he's living in this big lie that he thinks that he's going back to his own country and attacking his countrymen. At least that's the impression I get. When in fact he's not. He's taken out all the ites, not the Israelites, all the other ites. And um, he's coming back and, and giving this this uh, uh, report back to Akish that he went to the into the land of Judah. Now he wasn't um, attacking or raiding any Israelites; he was attacking the inhabitants of Judah that weren't Israelites. But this is what happens: he's living this he's living in this lie because he's making these. Bad, bad decisions. And that's what we sacrifice. When we give this up, when we... I mean, we have to take a step back and look at what's happening to David, right? Because, like I say, you point the finger. But David is being hunted. And I think that the pressures of being hunted every single day is what led to this. Uh, You know, however long he was in the wilderness, fleeing from Saul, that can get old really quick. And that can get really hard to every single day keep the defense up, keep keep your keep your guard up. He's got six hundred people following him. He's got to be strong for them because you know they've got doubts too. It's like, well, how long are we going to be doing this, David? I mean, can't we just call it call a truce? Can't you just figure something out? How much influence they had on this decision too, because. It's got to be getting old living with 600 guys and having to be responsible for them. Yeah. They've got nothing. They live on the land, off the land, and, you know, this deal with Nabal. And so that's got to be part of the weight yep. that he feels. And they're not all great guys, as, you know, you see later on with mm-hmm. the black deal. Mm-hmm. They're not all great guys. Right. So that's got to be part of what weighs on them as well. Right. All this responsibility. Right. Because by leaving, he gets some temporary ease. Mm-hmm. You know, Akish is, is all too quick to, to join hands with him. Uh, even though the last time he met Akish, you know, he was had spittle on his beard. You know, he's playing the fool. Right. You know, playing the madman. Um, but, but, uh, but to join hands with the Philistines, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, uh, the pressures, like you were saying, of being hunted and being responsible yes. and having to be 
you know, on all the time. David could never be off. He had to be on. He had 600 people looking at him. What do we do next, David? Mm-hmm. What what next? What other cave will we go into? What what now what where? forest? Yeah, now where? What's next? What you know? Nabal wouldn't give us what we wanted. It, we by by ways of Abigail, we, we're good. Okay, what's next? Okay, we 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 had Saul. He was right there, ready for the taking. You didn't do anything. What next? What's next? It's the second time, man. It's the second time. We told you you got him the first time. Okay, we got it. Second time, he's right there. He didn't do anything. I mean, you can imagine the pressures. Because they're following David. And, you know, we see this happen all the time inside the church. Is The leaders are being influenced by by the people. The people bring their requests to them. Hey, this is going on. This is going on. And the, the leadership has to deal with with all these situations. And so David, he's got to deal with it. And David now says, and, th- and this was his first step, when he stepped away from God and said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. That was the first step. And everything was downhill from there. Because had he, had he prayed to God, relied on God, not that, not that he didn't pray to God, but had, had he um, trusted in God, like he had been, he'd been trusting in God. But had he trusted in God, th- this would this would not have been the option that he chose. There's no way this is the option that you choose. It may be to another stronghold. It may be to another cave. But the option to go and escape to the land of the Philistines is outside the will of God. But you got to feel for him because the constant pressure will cause us to do this. Which is why we need to rely on grace uh, because he's, this is the example of what we do when we don't rely on grace. And we take matters into our own hands. This is what comes about from it. There's a uh, a quote I wanted to read about that from Henry Rossier. That's what Rossier says. Let us remember that having been used by God does not mean that we know ourselves yet. And let us remember that this self-knowledge is indispensable for us to appreciate grace. We often have this experience after times of special blessing. The enemy takes advantage of the situation to make us fall when, armed with God's power, we have illusions about our own strength, esteeming ourselves to be unassailable. Therefore, a time of special favor and power is often an occasion for the flesh to act. So this is what we're saying, that the flesh has a tendency to come up after you know we have this great victory in a time of of uh, special favor in our lives, hey, this is the one uh, Samuel read out um, about the constant pressures. 
But we would like to get rid of the constant assaults of persecution. Without grace, we weary of off-repeated attacks, and the soul, losing sight of the Lord, asks, Shall I not, for the time being, sacrifice my principles, give up my testimony, leave the ground which I see to be the heritage of God's people? Can I not let all this go for the time to secure a little ease? Losing sight of the Lord, give up our testimony, sacrifice our principles to secure a little ease. Mm -hmm. So that was the real reason he left. Verse 1 finishes with, So I shall escape out of his hand. He's escaping Saul. He doesn't want Saul to catch him. He doesn't want him to get him. He thinks he will, but he won't. That's why he left. He left out of fear. Then David arose, verse 2, and went over with him, with the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Malk, the king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So it was a good strategy, right? I mean, why would Saul follow you into the enemy's territory? And if he's and 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 if he's now joined forces with the enemy, well, a friend of my enemy, <laughs> right? So so Saul stops pursuing him. So yeah, he's got a little bit of time of ease. He doesn't have the uh, attacks coming daily, no doubt. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. But why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gives him Siglag, belongs to the kings of Judah to this day. And now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. That's how long he he stayed down there. That's a long time. That is a long time. Sixteen months in enemy territory. And so he spent his time uh, raiding. The Geshurites, the Gozites, and the Malachites. And so whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, Where have you made raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeramielites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. Notice he doesn't mention what he did, who he took, what he took, and how he left none alive to tell the story. Lest they should inform us of saying, thus David did. Verse 11. And thus was the behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. I'll say this. I'll, I'll read this. This is another Henry Rossier. 
portion. Speaking of how this uh, relationship between Akish and David and this, you know, uh, one foot in the world, one foot in the church type. He says, but how many Christians tangled in this net never awaken the world to their deception, lose their strength, their peace, their joy, and their joy there, sacrifice their testimony there, and finally leave this scene to go to be with the Lord, feeling that they have been nothing for Him during their lifetime, nothing for Him who, however, has done everything for them. So what happens is when we... Some people don't never escape the ties that they, they make with the world. You know, like David, he's there for 16 months. Some people are there for a whole lifetime. They never, they, they never break free of that uh, being entangled uh, with the world, which is what David is right here. Exactly. But think about that. How many Christians? How many Christians? You would never know. You, you, you've been around them. Yes. <laughs> you would never know. You would never guess. Right. That they're the Lord's. Right. How many times have you been with uh, um, a group of people for some time, and um, one of them, uh, you know, you, one of them passes away some years later. You go to their funeral, mm. and it's. People stand up and talk about how they were a great Christian, yeah. a great, great person. And you turn to your relative or your friend or whoever's with you and say, they were a Christian? <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Right. Or maybe it's not a funeral. Maybe it's something happens and you find out oh, they, they go to church? <laughs> really? <laughs> they had no identifying markers of of churchgoers, you know, there, there was nothing that I did because they got so entangled in the world that they looked like the world. And some of them never get out of that net, like Henry Rossier was saying. Some of them never get out. David gets out because God had plans for David. Amen. And he overruled that even though he falls here, uh, he doesn't stay down. God picks him back up. He hasn't even been king yet. Saul's still on the throne. David's got a lot of stuff to accomplish for God. But God wasn't going to let David ruin himself. And we can thank God that God hasn't uh, left us either. So we got to be thankful for God for His grace because um, God's going to use these experiences in our life even though if they're of our own doing. Not that He approves of, of anything that we... Of, of, of some of the things that we do, but He's going to use the situations, the experiences of our life for His glory and for our, for our benefit. If that means some time of, of, of poverty... If that means some time of trial, uh, tribulation, 
then then God's going to allow it. Um, you know, it never. Just you think of a parent. It never. I won't say never, but it shouldn't. You know, disciplining a child is not fun for the parent. It's it, it's not like they wake up every morning and think, okay, how am I going to discipline my child today? I, I, the reason I say never is because there are some sick people, but you know, discipline is never fun. But you realize that it's an investment that's going to pay dividends later in their life. And so um, sometimes we need the discipline and, and God doesn't ever enjoy disciplining us, but he, re- he, he, he rec- recognizes the necessity of it to bring us about into the man or woman that he's intended us to be. So I think we see that in David here that God allows David to make this poor decision because he's going to bring, uh, not not because, but he's going to, in spite of it, use it for good. I think that really relates to like the testimony last night, bringing beauty out of ashes. When you say that, like part of Kathy's testimony as a woman, so many things she's gone through. Yes. But then during recovery, she's written a letter of God talking to her, and just you know, just hearing the grace, the mercy, mm. His love, His forgiveness. Yeah, I don't think you know when you're just saying that God knew all that. It was going to take her to whatever through all those things to recognize you know, His goodness, and, mm. and it's, it's, just, it's a beautiful piece because He will take our ashes. You know, He'll make beauty for ashes. Mm. But and there's such a depth of understanding in those people's lives because of that, mm-hmm. and because of that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's so deep. It's mm. so beautiful. And only God could have done that. Amen. Yes. Well, we'll pick up next week in chapter 28.